Well, we had the first of two separation Saturdays take place last week, and if one thing is for sure, it's that it really appears to be Alabama, Georgia, and then everybody else. But there's still hope for some chaos this year. Let's get into it. What is going on, everybody? Well, quick update, and I sort of feel like a liar. <laughs> Sorry. Um, basically, still about a week behind on a lot of those updates. If you heard the show yesterday, because I did get the show out, or not yesterday, last week. If you heard the show last week, I got it out on audio format. Still behind on the YouTube format, and there's a, a reason for that, and I'll explain Basically, last week after I recorded the show, which I recorded the show on Tuesday, I don't think it uploaded till Wednesday morning, but Tuesday I recorded the show last week. Pretty much immediately after recording the episode, I started to not feel that well. Um, and remember, I had just gotten back the day before from uh, from LA. I'd spent the whole three previous weeks on the West Coast working for IndyCar and, uh, and what have you. So then... Wednesday, Thursday, I really did not feel well, was pretty sick, nothing super serious, just, you know, fever, body aches, didn't really feel like getting out of bed, my girlfriend was, you know, taking care of me, bringing me medicine and food when I needed it, you know, mostly soups and things of that nature, and it turns out I actually had COVID, I, I didn't get my positive test result back until about two days after that, I think it was actually Saturday or Sunday, which by Saturday, I was feeling fine. I was watching games, you know, isolated in my uh, office here, had the TVs going, was feeling a lot better, just a little bit sick, and then was watching football. Sunday, got my result, realized, oh, that was COVID, but by then was feeling fine. And I've been pretty much fine since Monday. Today's Wednesday now. Um, but my girlfriend, and she's the one that really helps me do the graphics and the thumbnails for the YouTube channel and I don't like posting on the YouTube channel unless it everything's looking clean and sexy like that so she basically got sick right after I did she's about her second day now of feeling a lot better so maybe with this show we're finally going to get the YouTube channel back going again strong with the different thumbnails and cut the different different segments just see how she's feeling today and if she has time or you know she might have some other things to catch up on with her work and everything so yeah sorry that is why the youtube channel is like almost two weeks behind but if you listen to the audio um format everything's up to date um but that is also why again this show is coming out on wednesday and not monday like i said so hopefully next week we are actually back on track. Episodes on Monday, maybe another one on Wednesday or Thursday. The YouTube channel being updated as it should be. Um, huge announcement though. I am going to the Red River Shootout this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Well, I'm actually going to, to two games this Saturday. So my dad has a best friend, basically my uncle, who lives in Tyler, Texas. He's a Texas A&M fan. And at the beginning of this year, we had talked about going to the Texas A&M Alabama game and making a trip out there to see him. His son is a freshman at Texas A&M right now. And we had been planning that. And we realized about a couple weeks ago, hey, it's the same weekend as Red River. Like, that's funny. And when the schedule came out for the times, and you know, the Red River game is always locked in at that noon time slot on uh, noon Eastern. 
So in Texas, that's 11 central. So it's at 11 a.m. Well, the Alabama-Texas A&M game isn't until 7.30 or 8.30 p.m. Eastern. So basically, we did the math, we calculated it out, and we have what should be more than enough time to go to the Red River game in Dallas in the morning. We'll probably get there around 9 a.m., check out the fair, check out you know the surroundings, go to the game, starts at 11. When that game ends, let's say maybe 2.30 at the latest, we got about a three-hour drive to College Station, which isn't going to give us too much time in College Station before the game, but should be able to get into the game. And honestly, I could not be more excited at all. I was already excited to go, you know, anytime I can go see a college football game, especially in venues I haven't been before, I'm always going to be excited. So I was already really excited to go to College Station for the first time, see Alabama for the first time, see Nick Saban for the first time, all those things. But when we got the chance to do this doubleheader, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm even more excited for Red River. I've been a huge fan of the Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it these days for, since I was a little kid. Um, one of the first games I remember watching was, I think, I think 2005, it wasn't that good of a game. It was actually Texas blowing Oklahoma out, but it was, um, one of Mac Brown's first times finally getting over that hump with Texas. Vince Young, of course, they go on to win the national championship. And then a few years after that, I want to say like 2006, 7, 8, and 9, all four of those years, it was a really good game. Colt McCoy versus Sam Bradford, basically. Sam Bradford didn't play in 06, but from 2007, 2008, especially, those two games were really, really good, especially the 2008 game where both teams came in top five. I, I believe Oklahoma was one, Texas was five. That was the game you had, you know, back and forth. Oklahoma loaded on offense, right? Sam Bradford, stud sophomore, eventual Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Manuel Johnson at receiver, um, Gresham, the fabulous tight end that Oklahoma had. I believe uh, even uh, Brian Broyles was a freshman that year. And then, of course, Texas, you know, Colt McCoy, Quan Cosby, Jordan Shipley, Stud, you know, he had the big kick return in the 08 game, so that was great. And then 09 was, you know, the year Bradford was coming off that injury in the kickoff game, and he re-injured himself again, which was sad. But, you know, then this rivalry just keeps getting better and better. You know, after that, it kind of became and has been lately this thing where even when Texas isn't having a good year, they always play good in that game. You remember the upset in 2013? Charlie Strong even got... Oklahoma one time, they just always seem to find a way to make that game competitive. Obviously, then recently we've had some good games. You know, 2018 was a great game. Kyler Murray led that team back. And then uh, 2019 was a great game, the Jalen Hurts game. And then last year, you know, the the overtime game, which was, was great in the COVID year. So this year, they're both ranked again. Texas in the 20s. I believe Oklahoma's coming in sixth this year. And couldn't be more excited for this game. I have always wanted to experience this rivalry, and I'm finally going to get the chance. And then later that night, going to get to see Alabama, Texas A&M. And obviously that game isn't as big of a deal as we thought it was going to be. Preseason when we were going to that game, you know, I thought, hey, maybe this will be the game that Alabama gets taken down. Probably going to have a top 10 matchup. A&M's probably, you know, undefeated or one loss. And obviously A&M has been kind of a disappointment we can get into them real quick, but, you know, that offense just is not explosive. I mean, it just isn't. And this is, I believe, kind of a flaw of Jimbo Fisher in the modern age where Jimbo Fisher is one of the most stingiest coaches of his offense, his philosophy, his thing. And he's got a cool offense, a very advanced pro-style kind of meets West Coast offense, and if it has literally all the perfect pieces, like all the perfect pieces, like five-star offensive linemen or three-star developed into five-star offensive linemen, five-star receivers, great running backs, and a brilliant quarterback, not only with arm talent, but smarts for the game. If you get all of those things, it can be a very explosive offense. But 
here's the thing. Even in 2013, when Jimbo Fisher had all of those things at Florida State, right? Jameis Winston, Heisman Trophy winner, loaded receiving core, great offensive line, amazing offense, right? That 2013 offense, every single player was drafted into the NFL. And they were very explosive that year. I can think of so many highlights when I think of that team. and Touchdowns and great plays. But... If you look at the stats, that team was number 27 in explosive plays that year. So even in Jimbo Fisher's best year ever, he didn't even crack the top 25 in most explosive offense. And if you look at all the other years, you know, they're in the 80s, the 70s, all those years surrounding 2013. So this offense just does not produce explosive plays. It's too complicated an offense. And I'm sure that losing to Mississippi State drove Jimbo Fisher absolutely nuts because he views probably, you know, this Mike Leach, this air raid crap, probably views that as like beneath him. But the thing is, is Jimbo's not getting paid to coach the NFL. This is an NFL offense. And it's too complicated for a lot of these college players. All you see other than 2013, and even in 2013 a little bit, is Jimbo Fisher yelling at his quarterbacks because these college kids, it takes them years to truly grasp this offense. Who, other than Jameis Winston, redshirt freshman, five-star, all-world player, was really able to take this offense to its peak efficiency? Nobody, right? Look at Florida. Look at the Florida State years. Christian Ponder, EJ Manuel, always Jimbo's just in their grill trying to get them to a place where they just never really get to with the offense. And then you go post Jameis Winston, what? Everett Golston, Sean McGuire, DeAndre Francois, you know, different different guys coming in and just learning and never getting there. The whole time with Kellen Mond at AM, it was the same story. Kellen Mond moves on. Now we got Haynes King, Cortezada. Like these guys are just not grasping the depth that Jimbo wants them to have it. I think they need a new receivers coach. Like, there's just there's just a lot of problems there. Defensively, AM has been really good, but gosh, this offense just doesn't produce explosive plays. And I mean, what can they do? I mean, they got a really good quarterback coming in next year. Is he finally gonna be the guy? But it's still gotta be frustrating as a fan of AM to basically go, okay, we've got this great coach, supposedly, we're paying him all this money, and we just can't get to the level that we're seeing, I mean, look, Mississippi State scoring more points than us. Ole Miss scoring a lot more points than us. These are teams that AM wants to view themselves as superior to, but the reality is, is those teams are more explosive than you. They've got a, probably a more dumbed down, simplistic style of offense, and they're way more explosive than you. Take advantage of the college rules. So yeah, AM's been a disappointment this year. That was something that displayed itself even more when they lost to Mississippi State. And I don't even know if I can put a lot of uh, stock in the, well, their quarterback's injured because realistically, I think both these quarterbacks were about even. That battle went on well into the fall. And Haynes King was a starter. He's down. But I feel like you're going to get the same thing regardless of who's in there. So yeah, I don't know. Is AM is probably going to get their third loss, you know, this this week when they go play Alabama. So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe Jimbo's got some up his sleeve, but I I doubt it. I mean, this offense, it's not going to get more explosive, I don't think against Alabama. And as good as the AM defense has been, I don't think they can stop Alabama. So, now maybe they'll do a better job than Ole Miss did. <laughs> because Ole Miss really performed well. I mean that, I mean let's get let's get to some of the takeaways from this last week. For me this was a separation Saturday that just happened. We got to witness some things and you know you start from the top you had Alabama playing a ranked team again and Ole Miss who had looked pretty good. You had Georgia playing a ranked team in Arkansas, top 10 Arkansas team who came in number 8. And both Alabama and Georgia just boat raced their competition out of the stadium. Wasn't even close. Now, I actually think Georgia's win was a little bit more impressive in a couple of ways. One, because 
well, they didn't have their starting quarterback. They're playing with the backup quarterback. Uh, JT Daniels was injured still, and Stenson Bennett came in. He was fine. Basically, they didn't ask him to do anything. They just ran the ball almost every play down Arkansas's throat. The Georgia defense was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, they did not let this Arkansas team do anything. The crowd was wild. There were false starts. It was just a dominating, dominating performance by Georgia and physically. And, and Arkansas is a physical team, so that made it, to me, all the more impressive. Arkansas was kind of saying, hey, we're the physical team, right? We beat Texas because we kind of out them. We beat A&M because we kind of out them a little bit, you know? And then Georgia comes in and says, well, we're just going to absolutely out-physical you in every way possible. The offensive line dominated the Arkansas D-line. The running backs ran all over the place. And then the Georgia defense was just way too much to handle, you know. So that was impressive. Where in the Ole Miss game, Alabama was very impressive, but Lane Kiffin kind of did the analytic thing, the high-risk, high-reward, where the risk ended up being what got the better of them. And I'm specifically talking about all the fourth downs, right? So Mike Norvell at Florida State does this a lot. Lane Kiffin's big on this. A lot of these newer coaches are big in this analytic thing, right? Where basically they view... 80% of fourth and shorts as you actually should go for it instead of punt, right? Especially if you're anywhere close to midfield or in the other territory, right? Where the old school way is basically like, hey, maybe you go for it on fourth down if you're like near the goal line, but probably not. And any other situation you would punt, right? So opening drive for Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin goes for it on a fourth down around the 40 yard line. They actually get that right? And then they go for it on fourth and goal. They don't get it. Alabama stuffs them. Then Alabama goes down the field on their drive. They score. I believe the very next possession, there's another fourth and one. Ole Miss goes for it. They don't get it. They go down 14-0. Then I think either the next drive or a drive after that, another fourth down and one or fourth and two, Alabama stuffs them again. And next thing you know, it's 21-0, right? Now, Alabama probably still wins this game, they definitely still win this game, even if Lane Kiffin punts or takes the field goal. But Ole Miss would probably have been in the game longer, right? Maybe it's it's three to nothing in that first drive. Okay, then it's seven to three. Then maybe it's 14-6 or 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 Ole Miss, you know, is just kind of extending the game. So these analytic things, they can be a high reward, right? You get those first those fourth down conversions. And maybe it's 21-21. But when you miss those fourth down conversions, instead of like, you know, a 14-6 game maybe at halftime or, or something like that, it's a, it's a 28-0 game at halftime. So that's the high risk, high reward thing. It, it is high risk, meaning if you don't get it, it can be 21-0 really fast. If you do get it though, instead of, you know, that 14-6 thing, which is you're still down, it still doesn't look good, but all of a sudden you can find yourself in a... 21-21 thing at halftime, which is much better. But at the end of the day, Old Miss, they had an offense where they could dictate, you know, first down a little bit. They were moving, but Alabama was just coached too well. They were prepared. And then, of course, they get those fourth down stops. And then Old Miss defense kind of started to look like last year a little bit, where Alabama pretty much scored at will, which is probably why Lane Kiffin felt he needed to go for it on those fourth downs because he, and he even said in the press conference afterwards, he's like, what does it matter if they score right away or they score, you know, after we punt, it just takes them a little bit longer. And I don't know if that's him not necessarily having faith in his defense. Obviously the defense is better than last year, but it's just Alabama being Alabama. I mean, they're going to score on everybody, you know, we'll, we'll see how they fare this week against a much better defense than A&M, but with how I feel like it'll be the opposite, right? With how bad AM's offense is, it's gonna make their defense look just as poor as Ole Miss when it's all said and done. So the separation Saturday, right, we really saw it at the top. Now more than ever, Alabama and Georgia look like the two best teams. And you're actually having some trouble processing, okay, which one of them is better than each other, you know, which, who had the more impressive win, blah, blah, blah. It, it doesn't matter. They're, they're going to play each other eventually, most likely in the SEC championship game. Everybody's talking about how basically they're both going to be in the playoff. I don't know about that quite yet for a couple of reasons, but 
put them aside for a second, you move down, right? We still have, after you get through them, this really interesting slate of teams and games and the college football season is pretty much going as normal crazy college football seasons do once you get below that, right? Oregon had their bad, you know, Pac-12 moment. They lost to Stanford, which is a little sketchy for them because now they actually are behind Stanford in the North standings, right? That was a divisional conference loss. Now this Friday, Stanford plays Arizona State. So Oregon really needs Arizona State to win, right? Best case scenario for Oregon is, of course, they win out, which I do think Oregon's more than capable of winning out. I think the toughest game Oregon has left is probably actually Oregon State. If you look at Oregon State's been playing and kind of the style they play, kind of this pro-style team that isn't the bottom of the Pac-12 anymore. Oregon State playing pretty decent. Um, So... Oregon is more than capable of winning out. They are in no way out of this playoff race. Remember what I've said this whole entire time. You can go back any year in the playoff era. If you win your conference championship and you only have one loss. So if you're a 12-1 and Power 5 team, there's like a 90% chance you make the playoff. The only way you're getting knocked out of the playoff is by other 12-1 and or 13-0 and conference champions that's pretty much the only way it happens okay now the one scenario we have yet to see and i'm wondering if we'll get it this year right there's been a couple years where going into the sec championship game we thought we had at least one team that was going to be locked in no matter what and there's been years where they thought well maybe we'll get there with two right kind of like what we have this year everybody is saying that probably Georgia and Alabama are going to the SEC championship games undefeated, which means they're both in the playoff, in the playoff, which I don't understand why people say that necessarily. Like resume wise, are they just like so far beyond everybody going into that game that that means everything? I, I don't know. Right. Because again, everybody likes to get caught up in like this resume stuff and, Oh, this team looks like the best team we've ever seen. But at the end of the day, and you can, you'd have to go listen to some of my shows from last year when I really break down the playoff format. But at the end of the day, yeah, they kind of act like anybody can get in and it's all about this resume and every year is unique. But in reality, the only time big wins and resumes are used is, is kind of in tiebreaker scenarios. We've never seen a non-conference champion make the playoff over a conference champion that had the same record or better, okay? Yes, 2016, Ohio State gets in without winning the conference championship, but they got in over two lost conference champions. Same thing in 2017 with Alabama. Alabama, at 11-1, was not selected over some 12-1 Pac-12 champ or a 12-1 Big 12 champ. No, they got in. And everyone who was in consideration below them either also didn't win their conference, had that same record, or if they did win their conference, they were a two-loss team. That's what we're dealing with here. So we've never truly seen a scenario where a one-loss non-conference champion actually makes the playoff over a one-loss conference champion or an undefeated champion or an undefeated team, something like that, right? So... That will be really interesting if we get that this year. Let's say Alabama and Georgia go into the SEC title game. They're both 12-0. Bam. Then one loses. One falls to 12-1 without a conference championship win. If you have a 12-1 Big Ten champion, that team probably goes in over them. If you have a 12-1 Big 12 team, if there's if Oklahoma or Texas is sitting out there at 12-1, they're probably getting in over that team. If Oregon is sitting there at 12 and 1, they're definitely getting in over that team, right? So I don't understand why we just assume, hey, the SEC, if, if that scenario happens, they're both locked in. And then it, what? It's going to be one of these conference champions that gets left out? We, we've never seen that happen before. And I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, right? This committee can do basically anything it wants. But I don't know why we just act like that's a slam dunk home run deal. Now, I think if it came down to Alabama was 13-0, and 0, 
Georgia was tw- the 12 and 1 team, and let's say maybe Texas was the Big 12 team out there at 12 and 1, well, considering they'd have a common opponent, that would really help Georgia if it actually came down to that. But let's say it's Oklahoma. Let's say it's Oklahoma State. Or you don't even need those two schools, right? Like it could be Penn State, Ohio State, Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State. Somebody from the Big Ten is probably going to come out 12-1 conference champion. That that team's in, okay? If the SEC gets their champion in at 12-1 or undefeated, whatever it is, and that's a lock, well, then the same thing has to be said about the Big Ten. They're just as strong of a conference this year as the SEC as they are in most years, but this year especially, okay? There's four undefeated Big Ten teams right now not named Ohio State. Ohio State has that loss to Oregon, but Ohio State's getting better. The Big Ten is very strong. It's very strong, especially at the top. Penn State's really good. Iowa looks really good. Of course, we get that matchup this weekend. That's going to be really exciting, right? Michigan's undefeated. Michigan State's undefeated. Ohio State's got the one non-conference loss, but they can come back and win the conference as well. And here's the thing. Ohio State comes back 12-1 Big Ten champs. Well, they're definitely in the playoff. But then guess what? If that's the case, and Oregon's out there at 12-1 with maybe a win over ranked Arizona State at the end of the year, they got that win over Ohio State. They're definitely in. Right? Ohio State has to lose like two to three games before that Oregon loss or win over them starts to not look that good for Oregon. As long as Ohio State finishes like 9-3, and 10-2 and two or better, that's going to be a strong win for Oregon. And, and because Oregon got that win, we've already talked about this, it, it gave them that mulligan game that they didn't have before. Why did Oregon miss the playoff in 2019? It's because they finished 10-2, and two, and we know the committee just will not put a two-loss team in the playoff, whether they're from the SEC, Big Ten, two-loss conference champions don't make the playoff. It hasn't happened. We probably aren't going to see it happen in this four-team format. So in 2019, Oregon had two losses. Their first loss was they lost their kickoff classic game neutral field against Auburn in the last seconds. Auburn was, you know, a decent SEC team that finished ranked. And then they drop that game at Arizona State on the road, okay? They still make it to the Pac-12 championship game where they played an 11-1 Utah team, and they win that game, big ranked matchup. But instead of going to the playoff, they only make the Rose Bowl because they have two losses. And it wasn't really the Arizona State game that cost them, if you think about it. It was losing that game to Auburn. If they had beaten Auburn in week one and then still had that hiccup at Arizona State, and gone into the Pac-12 championship game, especially that year where you would have had two one-loss teams playing the Pac-12 championship game, both ranked in the top 10, the winner was definitely going to the playoff. Remember, if Utah won that game, they were going to the playoff. But Oregon wins, and, and they get the Rose Bowl bid instead. So this year, Oregon did have that very strong non-conference win at Ohio State in the horseshoe. They go in, they beat Ohio State. That gave them that one mulligan. We talked about it. Now they've already used the mulligan. And it kind of makes sense that it comes against Stanford. And let's also break down a little bit of that Oregon game. No excuse, right? If Oregon is a top three team, they can't lose to Stanford this year. But Stanford is always a well-coached, very smart football team, right? David Shaw is a phenomenal coach. And they always kind of have Oregon's number this last decade, right? And... Oregon went into this game without Joe Moorhead, their offensive coordinator. And if you watch the way that game unfolded, it kind of makes sense because Oregon's offense just didn't really get into the rhythm that they needed to be in or that you're accustomed to seeing them in this year. They just weren't in that rhythm. A huge part of that is Joe Moorhead missing that game. Also, if you look at the way that last series happened, there's a terrible targeting call because every targeting call is a terrible call. <laughs> it's just my opinion. But Kayvon Thibodeau, right, the best defensive player in the country, gets ejected at the end of the game. Stanford goes down the field. There's a questionable pass interference call on the last play of regulation, giving Stanford one more chance. They score. They tie up the game. We Now we go to overtime without Kayvon Thibodeau, without Joe Moorhead still, okay, It's at Stanford, huge advantage Stanford. They pull off the upset. Well, assuming 
Thibodeau's back. Obviously, he'll miss the first half of this Cal game coming up for Oregon. But assuming he's back and healthy the rest of the year, Joe Moorhead doesn't miss any more games, Oregon could easily click. Now, I'm not saying Oregon's some national championship team, but I think easily they can run the table. They're better than everyone they're going to be playing on the on the remaining part of their schedule. And if they play their A game, they're going to finish 11-1. and one. They're going to go to the conference championship game, 11-1. and one. And most likely, they're going to play an Arizona State team that I think you could say the same about, okay? Let's jump to Arizona State for a second. They just beat UCLA. I still think UCLA is a good team. Yeah, I know UCLA lost Fresno State, but Fresno's good, right? Fresno gave Oregon problems. They've got a quarterback. They're a good team, okay? And they get the best of UCLA a few weeks ago. Well, Arizona State came in, and they showed that they were better than UCLA. I mean, they really out-physicaled them, if that's a word. They played more physical than them in the second half. They got the stops that they needed to. They ran the ball well. Their tight end was awesome. You got to love, you know, Herm Edwards getting it done. And they're, they're probably just trying to take advantage of all the winning they can do now before the NCAA comes calling, right? We'll see how that investigation goes. But it's very possible when I look at Arizona State and the rest of their schedule. I mean, USC still has the talent to beat them, obviously. But UCLA, USC is kind of, you know dealing with what they're dealing with right now in the post-Clay Helton midseason firing era that they're in. But Arizona State could easily also get to that conference championship game with only one loss. Right now, their only loss is to BYU, who's currently ranked in the top 10. BYU's looking pretty strong, right? Well, I'll get to them in a second because they're going to make this whole playoff conversation really interesting. But Pac-12, still really interesting. Pac-12 South, okay, UCLA only has one conference loss. So the Pac-12 South is still very, very interesting, right? And while USC's probably out of the conversation as far as winning the South, they're still in that conversation as far as upsetting teams in the South, right? They still play ASU and UCLA, and they have the talent on paper to play with those guys and to possibly beat them. So the South is very much up in the air. Whereas the North, I, I think Oregon bounces back strong here and, and wins this thing and probably doesn't lose again. So, and then you go to the Big Ten, right, where you got undefeated Penn State and Iowa squaring off this week. If Iowa wins, think about this, guys. If, if Iowa wins that game, Penn State is still looking okay because Penn State still has Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State out in front of them. Iowa would probably run the table. Okay, if Iowa goes into the Big Ten championship game undefeated, this is where you have to be really careful with that SEC narrative down there. If you set up this big narrative where, oh, you know, Georgia or Alabama, if they go into the Big Ten undefeated, you know, they're, they're both guaranteed that spot. Well, okay, then why wouldn't Iowa be guaranteed the same thing? I mean, I mean seriously, make an actual argument other than well, I just think Alabama looks like the best team. They're in their roster, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. That, that doesn't matter. That's not how sports work. You don't just look at teams and go, well, I mean, come on. That team looks like the best team. Right? It's sports. What, what happens on the field matters. So if you're going to make a huge argument for that, for Alabama, oh, the, the, this, these two undefeated SEC teams, what happens when Iowa makes the Big Ten championship game undefeated, and they didn't just sit in their own division and do nothing, they they you know they're they're going to play Penn State this week. Let's say they have that game, and then Penn State runs the table and gets back in in a rematch, or Ohio State gets back in, you know, or maybe Michigan. Someone else goes undefeated. I mean, we could. You can't make that argument for the SEC and not make the same argument for the Big Ten. Okay, now personally, I think the loser of that game, I'm not saying they're out, right? Whether this is the Alabama-Georgia potential SEC title game or this fictional, you know, Big Ten championship game we're making up. But I do think that any conference champion with the same record will get the nod over that team. And these narratives are putting people in these hypocritical positions, like I just said, right? So you keep hearing already the narrative i mean come on if, if alabama and georgia meet undefeated in the sec championship game i mean they're both in okay 
I mean, if you're going to say that, that's fine. But then you better be saying the same thing about the Big Ten championship game. If we get an undefeated versus undefeated or undefeated versus one loss, right? An undefeated Iowa versus, you know, a one loss Penn State looking for revenge or whatever. How could you not be in the exact same scenario there? I mean, it's very hypocritical to go into that. Also, BYU has to be a team that makes the playoff conversation really interesting this year, okay? Probably more interesting than Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati is a group of five team. Cincinnati did get the win over Notre Dame this weekend. That was a good game, right? Really fun one to watch. Cincinnati goes into Notre Dame and they win. And now they're the first group of five team in all the history of, you know, the BCS and the playoff era that came into the season with some hype because the year before and actually got a top 10 win on the road. And unless Notre Dame like totally falls apart, that's going to be the biggest win we see a group of five team ever get. And the playoff keeps that acting right this committee this whole system keeps acting like no yeah we we do get the group of five does have a shot here well if there was every year to give a, pl- a playoff spot to a group of five school it was obviously ucf in 2017 they didn't even finish as high as 10 in the final rankings right they went to the peach bowl that year i think 12th and then they beat auburn right you know they claim they are the champs whatever but cincinnati's out there definitely making problems for this committee. So if you've got the potential, this undefeated, I mean, a lot of people, respectable sources, right? Andy Staples at The Athletic. You know, they're saying that, hey, undefeated Cincinnati probably gets in the playoff. And I don't have a problem with that, really. They do look really good. But if Cincinnati gets in undefeated, and if you look at the history of Notre Dame as an independent, always making the playoff when they go undefeated, That means BYU has to make the playoff if they go undefeated. And if you were to compare BYU's schedule and Cincinnati's, you give the huge nod to BYU. BYU pretty much plays all Power 5 teams. I think of their 12 games, I think 8 or 9 of them are against Power 5 opponents, and I think at least 11 of them are against Division 1, you know, FBS teams. I think maybe they play one FCS game, I'm not sure, but... They've already beaten three Pac-12 teams. They're going to play, I think, one or two more. I know they finished the year with USC. They're playing Virginia. They're playing some ACC teams, right? They're playing Boise State coming up, who, even though they're a group of five, it's respectable group of five program. So their schedule is pretty much just as good as any Notre Dame schedule is every year. And undefeated Notre Dame teams make the playoff, right? And, oh, is that just because Notre Dame, the brand name? I mean, maybe, wink, wink, but... Officially, it's all because of resume and teams and what you've done. So BYU and Cincinnati both out there with the chance to take away spots from two conference champions. Now, here's what I think you want to get conspiratorial, all that stuff, right? Everybody wants to move along this conference expand this or this playoff expansion talk, right? And I've talked in other episodes on why I think that's been delayed with what's going on at the SEC and, and the Texas-Oklahoma move and then the Big 12 trying to say there's still a Power 5 conference when maybe other conferences aren't really on board with that. Well, what's going to happen this year when, may, let's say that SEC scenario happens and the playoff committee is like, look, Alabama and Georgia are in, right? Let's say we get conference championship Saturday and Alabama and Georgia are both undefeated and ESPN's already set up the narrative and put it in your mind that because of that, they both are getting in the playoff regardless of what happens and we have a close game and, oh, we can't leave one of them out and they're both in the playoff and you basically have two spots already taken. Then let's say on top of that, who who cares who it is, but you've got a, a Big Ten, it could be Penn State, it could be Iowa, it could be Ohio State could be Michigan, but somebody from the Big Ten is either undefeated or most likely one loss Big Ten champion with that gone. Okay, well, in a normal year, you're like, well, that team has to get in, right? Then let's say Oregon does their thing and goes 12-1, and wins the 
Pac-12, well, that team should be in. Maybe Oklahoma or Texas or Oklahoma State. Somebody's doing the same thing out of the out of the Big 12, right? Oklahoma could be undefeated. Oklahoma State, Texas, one loss. One of those teams could be one loss or undefeated, which 90% of the time, remember, gets you into the playoff. And then what if Cincinnati and BYU are sitting out there undefeated also? I mean, this is going to be ridiculous, It's which... And I love it, right? I love the chaos. But if you give two SEC spots in that scenario, oh my gosh, is everyone pissed. But that probably leads all of them to just instantly go, expansion, forget it, we're going to expansion, give us that 12-team format, right? Where, you know, the SEC, if that scenario happens, but somehow they get shafted and they don't get their second team in, which... I honestly think in that scenario, they wouldn't deserve two teams in, you know, you want to give the SEC two spots when the other conferences don't perform. You know, I've got no problem with that. 2017, Georgia wins the SEC. They don't even play Alabama. Alabama has that one loss. They got a good resume and the other conference champions finished with two losses and deeming themselves, you know, maybe not worthy. That's fine with me. But in my opinion, if you have a year where the other conference champions has, conference champions do their part, finish 12-1 and one or undefeated, you got a BYU, Cincinnati out there, those teams do their part, then you know I don't really care that Alabama and Georgia go into that conference title game undefeated, right? There, there's other teams that did similar stuff that year, and the SEC bias stuff has got to stop you know, in, in that scenario. So could that go the other way? Because if the SEC has this Alabama, Georgia situation, but then doesn't get both of them in the playoff, well, then maybe they actually want to expand all of a sudden, you know, because they all act like, hey, we're cool. We don't, we don't care if it goes to four or we can leave it at four. We can jump to, to eight. We can jump to 12. You know, we're kind of good with whatever. That's kind of how they play it, even though I don't think that's true. I think they're looking forward to the expansion as much as anybody else, because and I've got you can go listen to a few episodes back when I broke down. There's not too many years in a potential 12 team format. If you go back to the beginning of the playoff era, there's only a few times the SEC was going to get more than two teams in, even in a 12 team format. And if they don't get two teams in this year, when if that Alabama Georgia scenario plays out, maybe they are a little more okay, yeah, we admit we want the expansion too. If they get the two teams in, then they do get to sit back and act like, hey, you know, we've been, we're, we're ready to expand whenever, but we don't care that much. You know, we get our two teams in. So it's really interesting. And you can't help but feel a little conspiracy theory mind with it when you know what's going on with ESPN and they basically control that narrative you know, 90% of the narrative. Fox has done a good job, you know, challenging ESPN just as a college football entity in the last, you know, five years or so. And I think their guys matter a lot too, and people listen to those opinions. But it's going to be really interesting just run it down the stretch, you know, with all those scenarios that I pointed out. Now, coming into this Saturday, for me, it's another separation type of Saturday where we will learn a lot. I love the Saturdays where... We have the big matchups, but we also learn a lot. You know, it's not week one. Okay, there's all these rankings next to people's names. Upsets happen, things happen, but we don't really know what we're looking at. You know, by the time mid-October comes around, we have an idea of these teams, of what we're looking at. So this week, like I said, Friday, I'm actually really interested in this Arizona State-Stanford game. Is Stanford going to keep coming along strong? And for ASU, after the huge win over UCLA, are they going to do what Oregon did, kind of overlook this really good Stanford team that, you know, isn't pretty, but more than capable of beating you. So I'm really excited to see that game because if Arizona State wins that game, to me, it shows, hey, they're they're pretty legit because how teams respond to potential trap scenarios, to me, is really important in analyzing them, right? Okay, Saturday, like I said, we got Red River. Oklahoma's number six. Texas is 21. What we're going to learn from this game is a lot, right? Is Oklahoma finally going to really separate themselves from the rest of the pack? If they don't, though, and Texas wins this game, is it going to basically look like, hey, Texas, Oklahoma are kind of on even footing? That's going to be really interesting because remember, 
the Big 12 is interesting because they do the round robin. Everybody's going to play everybody. I'm actually interested to see Ohio State and Maryland, right? Maryland obviously just got killed by Iowa. I think Maryland's a lot better than Rutgers. They also match up better against Ohio State than they do Iowa, even though Ohio State you know, has a lot better players than Iowa. So it looks like Ohio State's kind of turning it around, but I want to see how they look in that game. Then Arkansas Ole Miss is interesting, right? The two losers of the giant matchups from last week, now they play each other. Let's see how that looks, right? One of them is about to have their second loss in a row. And that can be very devastating. So who's going to respond better after getting their butt kicked by one of the top two teams? That's going to be really interesting to me, kind of see where that goes. Now, Georgia-Auburn's kind of interesting to me too. I really think Georgia is just way better than Auburn. When you look at the way Auburn played last week, it was a great game. The the, the LSU game, Bo Nix kind of did some magic there, but... Auburn, you know, after seeing them play Penn State and LSU, the defensive lines really bother Bo Nix, and Georgia's a lot better than those two teams are up front. Penn State, I think, is is comparative. I really love the Penn State defense, but I don't know. This this is just an interesting matchup. You know, Georgia playing their second-ranked team in a row. They just beat Arkansas at home. Now they go play Auburn. Can the Bo Nix magic continue? I don't think so. I think I think Georgia's going to win this game comfortably, but the Georgia-Auburn game, always really interesting. So excited to watch that game. BYU playing Boise State, okay? I'm just, I want to keep seeing BYU improve, right? Boise State, you know, they have two losses already this year. They're not one of these all-time great Boise State teams, but it is a good Boise State football program. They're always well-coached, always well-prepared, and BYU is number 10, undefeated, so the pressure kind of starting to mount on them. If they're thinking, you know, big, big, case scenario with the the potential of maybe making a playoff so i'm interested to see that game now iowa and penn state this is one of the sexiest matchups of the season i love this game this top five matchup number three iowa versus penn state i believe this game is back in iowa it reminds me you know a couple years ago 2017 penn state went to iowa iowa wasn't even ranked then but we had a really good game you know with trace mcsorley saquon barkley taking on iowa I expect a really similar type of environment. This will be a defensive slugfest. And, you know, guys, just like the, you got to think of it just like uh, the big SEC games from a few years ago, right? When when the SEC plays and you get these low-scoring defensive things, oh, it's all these NFL players and it's such good defense. I mean, you got to say the same thing about the Big Ten. Big Ten, you know, Iowa, great defense. All they do is force turnover. Penn State has a phenomenal defense also. And it's going to be really interesting to see who gets on the scoreboard in this game and how they do it. Because is Penn State going to take care of the football? Or is Iowa going to do their thing? Either way, that's a really, really exciting game. And if that game is very close, the loser is not going to drop off very much, right? I think it's, it's kind of a bigger game for Penn State in the sense that Penn State plays in the tougher division. So after this game, Penn State still has to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. But Iowa's sitting there going, hey, we got to get this win because if Iowa does get this win, they're pretty much looking like they could probably go undefeated the rest of the way. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure this is their only cross-division opponent that's tough. I don't think they have to play Ohio State or Michigan or Michigan State. They've already... So, so yeah, and... Though they will have to play Wisconsin, obviously, and that could still be a tough game, but Wisconsin already has three losses, so either way, that's a really awesome game. Then we move down, okay, Notre Dame going to play Virginia Tech, that's interesting, right? Can can Notre Dame keep winning, which is really going to help out Cincinnati with their playoff case? Also, how's Virginia Tech look? They only have one loss, it's to West Virginia, they're kind of in my opinion, the best team on right now on paper in the ACC Coastal. So this would be a huge win for Virginia Tech, but Notre Dame really needs to bounce back, and obviously Cincinnati's rooting for Notre Dame as well. Michigan-Nebraska is kind of interesting just because Nebraska is getting better. Michigan just beat Wisconsin, and now they play a Nebraska team, and they need to take Nebraska seriously. So moving down, Kentucky-LSU is interesting to me. 
because Kentucky's undefeated. They just got the huge win over Florida. LSU just lost. Is LSU going to lose again? Because if LSU loses to this Kentucky team, it's looking like they're probably going to drop, you know, four of their next five games, which is getting real concerning if you're an LSU fan. You know, what is going on there? And then obviously, like I said, Alabama A&M. I think Alabama's going to destroy A&M. We'll see if A&M has any surprises left. But again, I think another Saturday where we're going to learn a lot about these teams. And yeah, we move forward. There's just, like I said, a lot of conversations. For me, it centers around these new potential playoff scenarios. And I, I think we are setting up for some really interesting debates and conversations moving forward. So like I said, if they want to keep pumping up that SEC thing and the Alabama-Georgia matchup, that's fine. But then I think they're going to realize pretty quickly how potentially hypocritical that is. So, Or maybe they back off that and they just kind of go like, hey, what's going on? You know, you, you kind of want to win, right? I, I know that Alabama and Georgia are really, really good, but you don't want to lose if you're one of those teams because you won't control your destiny, right? So we'll see how it all plays out. Again, super excited for this Saturday. Obviously, I've got to do some navigating, right? I'm going to the Red River game. Then I got that drive in that drive from Dallas to College Station. I'll be on my phone, you know, watching other games. Hopefully, uh, the main one I want to be checking out is Iowa-Penn State. And then, obviously, I'm going to the Alabama A&M game. So, super stoked for that. Um, but, yeah, anyway, that's all I have for today. Like I said, sorry for the delays, battling some illness. So hopefully now, finally, getting back to the normal schedule of episode on Monday, maybe episode on Thursday, YouTube channel being updated, all that good stuff. Um, follow the Instagram page I made, College Football Classics, to keep up with highlights of old games. Obviously, this this week we're posting Red River Rivalry games. We're posting Auburn-Georgia games, A&M-Alabama games, right? Those Manziel days, all that good stuff. And we're almost 2,000 followers, so that's awesome. Email the show, let's talk college football at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe. If, if you're on you know, YouTube, please like this video, subscribe to the channel. If you're on iTunes, leave that five-star review, Spotify review, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Really appreciate that. So that's all I have for this week. I will talk to you guys on Monday. Thank you.